I'm Rod Cleef, and I'm host of the Lifetime Cashflow Through Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm also an apartment investor. I've asked Adam Adams to be an expert on a panel in Chicago with some other members of our multifamily mastermind group. This event's definitely going to sell out. We've got fantastic early bird pricing right now. So don't wait. Go to multifamilybootcamp.com, and Adam and I look forward to seeing you in person in Chicago, August 24th through the 26th. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by realbluespruce.com. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Adams, and today I'm with Tamar Mar. Welcome, Tamar, to the show. How are you? I am so fantastic. Thanks for having me, Adam. I love your always cheerful attitude. Uh, last phone call that I had with you, you're always so full of positivity uh, so <laughs> about Tamar Mar is that, uh, number one, you have a podcast, don't you? I do. It's called Investing for Life, and it's about the intersection between entrepreneurship, investing, and intentional lifestyle design. I love it. She also runs and hosts the meetup called Marvelous Multifamily Millions Meetup. Lots of M's yes. in there. And that is in Washington State. Is that correct? Yep, that's right. And the reason for the M's, this is just a funny thing about Tamar Mar, because, you know, my name is Tamar Mar, and we make fun of my name all the time, but also we make puns on my last name, like, every day. So, any chance we can get the word Mar into something, we do. So, like, we host Margaritaville parties, for instance. You know, it's just okay. dumb. It's another way to have fun. I love it. So, <laughs> when, you put, when you write Marvelous, is, are all three of those M-A-R capitalized? Uh, it could be. <laughs> <laughs> For now on. That's a good idea. We're going to do yeah, that. Yeah, I've been known to do that. <laughs> I love it. A couple things more about Tamara is that she also um, has a rental portfolio as well with some multifamily. So it's really cool. She's hosting this marvelous multifamily millions out. Is it Seattle? I, I don't want to. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Yeah. And uh, the Investing for Life podcast, she's got another, she's got about 70 members as we record this. By the time you guys hear this, she's going to have hundreds and hundreds of members and you're going to want to be a part of this. Their, <laughs> their next meetup that's happening at the top of the tallest building out in Seattle has about 40 members. It's going to be a great panel. Uh, so that one's already sold out, unfortunately, but you should look up Marvelous Multifamily Millions so you can go to the next event. Um, and it's during the lunch and you've already got 40, you've got a full 40 people signed up, right? Yeah. You know, that was from a pointer from you, my friend, Adam, you were saying that you really like the lunch events because it's an opportunity to find really serious investors that are going to come. And that was my whole agenda in putting together something that was a little bit different than what I was finding in Seattle. Um, and so people who have the opportunity to break away for a couple hours in the middle of the day to do something that's going to further their career and investing goals, that was the atmosphere that I was looking for. I love it. And you're so much more eloquent about the reasons behind it than I've ever been. So thank you for sharing. <laughs> I'm gonna, I, I have this recorded. I'm going to listen to it a few times. So uh, pretty soon, uh, you're going to have a, over 100 multifamily doors. And that's kind of interesting because you've only been really in the multifamily. You switched over to multifamily just recently, about a year. Yeah. And so it's, yeah. it's just kind of shows what people can do if they really get into this uh, yeah. into that business of multifamily. You can grow and scale pretty quickly because sometimes you might be able to just buy a building that's like 70 units. Is that, that's about what your next one is, right? The one that you're closing pretty soon? 
So I have two under contract currently. One is a 26 unit and one is a 56 unit. One here in the Pacific Northwest and the other one in Ohio. And then oh, I also have two other deals that I'm looking at, a 28 unit and a 20 unit um, at the same time that could close within, uh, you know, just after that. Um, so yeah, I ramped up from three units to, by the time these two properties close, it'll be three to 118 units in less than one year. Wow, that, that is fantastic. And I hope that the listeners rewind that 30 seconds, listen to it one more time, let that kind of ingrain because uh, this business is possible. You can own yeah. doors in a very short amount of time. And Tamar, would you, would you say that a lot of that is because it's a team sport or are you, are you opposite than me and doing this all on your own? <laughs> okay, so yes, I think it's a team sport and you need to have people around you to really build you up and complement your own skill sets. But in addition to that, you have to be somebody that's a go-getter to be able to grow that quickly. Um, yes. I mean, that's at least what's true for me and I am one of the most driven people that I know. <laughs> yep. So um, so I think it's a combination of the two, but you definitely can't do it without surrounding yourself with a fantastic team. Great. I appreciate you covering that. There is something that we've actually, I don't think has been on the podcast quite yet. And you and I are both kind of playing this interview by ear and the direction I'd kind of like to take where we are is your market selection. So you mm. have uh, a, some property in the Pacific Northwest and you've also got some property in Ohio. I want to mm -hmm. talk about how you pick those areas, what the cap rates are, what you like about them, if they're growing, if they're shrinking. Would you mind uh, starting with Pacific Northwest uh, and your properties there, what you like about their area? Yeah, my first two multifamilies that I purchased were in Eastern Washington, which is about four and a half hours away from where I currently live. Um, and the reason why I went over that way is money just goes a lot further east of the mountains than it does here in the Seattle King County metro area. And cap rates are super duper condensed around here um, to the extent of maybe, you know, as low as 4%. And so it, it not only is the amount of capital that is required to come to the table much higher, but um, sometimes you have to put 50% down on deals. And I think that's not the best use of capital when you can find a market that is going to provide much better returns for you. So I started poking around um, in eastern Washington. There's a couple of different uh, major city hubs over there that I like, but I've really focused on one. And, um, and so there it's just, you know, finding great connections with brokers and property managers that can help me find potentially some off-market stuff um, in the long run here. So I like that area. It's the second biggest city in the state of Washington, and it has uh, quite a bit of economic diversity there between the industries, healthcare, um, and the the seasons that are over there are great too. So a lot of people are moving over there, not only for the lower cost of living, but also because there's four seasons and we really don't have that in, in Western Washington here. Um, another area that I invested in is, is south of Seattle about an hour. And so I actually will not touch King County metro area in Seattle because it's just too on fire. So I prefer to go two to three counties away from King County where I live. And that's kind of my theory. Anywhere up and down the I-5 corridor in Washington State or on the I-90 corridor, that's, there's some really great markets along those places. So that's where one of my properties is that I have under contract about an hour south of Seattle. Uh, there's, you know, there's light rail, there's trains, there's uh, buses that take you right to the city, both to Olympia, Tacoma, and Seattle. So I like that it's a major transportation hub. Um, and again, economic diversity, the area used to have a rougher image, but now it's cleaning up quite a bit, which I really like. 
Um, and then just, I don't want to ramble too much here, but for the Ohio deal, that actually happened, like totally happenstance in the last couple of weeks here. Um, a friend of mine, an investor friend, has boots on the ground out there. He has a couple units, a couple hundred units um, of his own. And he, you know, asked me for advice on something on, on lending. And we ended up just hooking up to work on this deal together. So uh, that one, you know, it's nice to have boots on the ground somewhere else if you are going to invest outside of your backyard, so to speak. I focus mostly on, on the acquisitions that I'm doing for my own company, the Moroda Group, um, in the Pacific Northwest because I know it so well. But I always believe that if I'm going to go somewhere else, I need to have somebody that has boots on the ground. Wonderful. I do have a few follow-up questions. We talked about the Pacific Northwest and east of the mountains as well as a little bit south of Seattle, about an hour. Mm -hmm. None, nothing yeah. in county. You always like to go at least one or two counties out. Um, yeah. We talked about cap rates. And so yeah. um, on the capitalization rate, you mentioned um, 4%. And I believe that you were talking about that being within the city of Seattle. Is that correct? Yeah, around the Seattle area. So I'd say within maybe, you know, half an hour of Seattle. And, and that would be a really extreme play right there, 4%, but it's not unheard of right now. Okay, great, great. And when you were talking about a 50% down, I put four question marks by that. What are we talking about? Um, you're saying if you're purchasing property in Seattle at a four cap, they're making you have a 50% loan to value or something like that? Well, the reason why is because it doesn't debt service on uh, any less of a down payment. Okay. So in order to make the DSC ratio correct, mm -hmm. you just, you have to put more money down. Okay. Good deal. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank mm -hmm. you for touching mm -hmm. on that. So what kind of debt are you using for the properties that you're purchasing right now? Um, it depends. For this, the two first deals that I did, there were a 15 and a 16 unit. So they were too small of a balance on the loan to receive um, agency non-recourse debt. Mm -hmm. the, two, the property that I'm working on in Lakewood, which is south of Seattle, that one I'll be putting Fannie Mae financing on that one. So we're working through all that. It, it's actually my first Fannie Mae deal that I'm doing. So I'm learning a ton as we're going. And then um, the one in Ohio, we're going to have to do bridge financing in order to get us into conventional debt later on just because the occupancy rates aren't above 90% currently they're just below that so we need to go in and stabilize it just a little bit more than has already been done uh, before we can put a Fannie Mae loan on that. Perfect I'm, I'm getting lots of nice follow-up questions uh, queued up for some of the things that you've mentioned so far so we have plenty plenty to go off of, that's for sure so with, <laughs> With the debt, you said 15 or 16 unit are what you've done recently, and mm -hmm. those you had to get recourse debt. So would you mind defining just for my listeners what recourse versus non-recourse is? Yeah, yeah. So for a full recourse loan, it's kind of like for your personal residence, residential property where you have your own mortgage on it. If something, if you default on the loan, they can come after you, the guarantor, uh, to repay that debt. So if it's a non-recourse loan, then that means that they go after the property. So they would take the property back, but not necessarily go after the guarantors on the property. And so there's much more stringent requirements for that sort of agency non-recourse debt because they want to make sure that the property is performing well before they agree to loan you 70, 75%, 80% on a property. Um, and so, yeah, so that they don't have to take the building back because they're not in the business of taking it back. They're in the business of, of helping people buy properties and making money themselves. Thank you so much. There is one thing, one question that's came up to me 
uh, maybe about a dozen times over the last three months. And that is people kind of look at me and give me a double take when I say I'm going to get a Fannie Mae loan on my <laughs> apartment property because yeah. they yeah. think that they're only for single family. So you can, you can be there and, and agree with me that you can get Fannie and Freddie loans on big, big, big deals, $5 million yeah. or so. Uh, no, actually, you can do it less than that. From what I understand, the small balance um, minimum criteria, they don't like to go below a million for the loan size, but they will go a little bit smaller. But usually they won't play in that space until it's yep. at least a million dollar loan. But yep. they prefer to do larger deals. Yep. Perfect. I, I appreciate you covering that. Um, so, th so just for the listeners, Fannie, Freddie are the agency debt that, that I prefer myself. We they're not always as easy to qualify for, but uh, mm -hmm. if you have like a decent credit and we're looking at a property that makes a lot of sense, Fannie Freddie are screaming to try to put some money into those deals. So uh, I, when you mentioned, I, sorry, sorry to cut you off, you said something yeah. about like you're, you had a 15 or 16 unit and they were harder to get loans on than maybe one of these, you know, two, three, four million dollar deals. Is that right? It wasn't harder to get a loan on it. It's okay. just that um, there weren't as many banks that would play in Eastern Washington because the you okay. know the population's not as big, the economic diversity is not as great. So it, it, you end up sometimes going with a smaller credit union, and then they might ask you to put a little bit more down on that. So we ended up having to do thirty percent down on one, and then the other one I actually got seller. Now I'm thinking about it. We got seller financing on another one for eighteen months because I'm doing a complete down to the studs almost remodel on all sixteen of the units. I'm just doing a total gut job. So I'm doing that with seller financing, and then I'll put conventional debt on it after that project is completed next year. Okay, perfect. I've got a note on that. I cut you off. What were you about to say? Oh, I just wanted to share something that I learned about Fannie Mae loans um, in the last couple of weeks is that I've heard that they take, um, they'll, they'll impound, so to speak, an, a bunch of reserves based off of an engineering report that they have a third party do conduct um, on the property. And on the property that I'm looking at, they <laughs> They um, had a history over the last couple of years of taking out, on average per door, $750 per door per year, which makes for a huge impact on the bottom line. It's not that you can't use that money. You just have to, they hold it in their own account, and then you can use it for whatever renovations that the engineering report says that are deemed necessary. So I'm having to underwrite the deal a little bit differently and figure out, okay, how can I raise the capital? How can I negotiate with the seller to get seller credit so that our uh, reserve impounds aren't as much as that $750 a door per year? I want to yep. get it more close to $250 a door because that's usually yep. how I underwrite a property. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. A uh, couple questions here. You mentioned the 4% cap rate and what, are, but you, we didn't really talk about what cap rates you're able to find on the other side of the mountains or south of Seattle. Yeah. So on the other side of the mountains, it's, it's usually trading at about six and a half percent. Um, south of Seattle, it depends. So I'd say six, six to seven percent on Eastern Washington, and then depending, that would be in a in a more major hub over there. Um, south of Seattle, where I'm looking in Tacoma, the the cap rates are very similar to Seattle, but south of Tacoma, you could probably get, you know, between five and a half to six and a half percent is pretty standard right now. Perfect. Uh, one quick thing for the listeners is the smaller the cap, the more expensive the building is for how much income it makes. Is that right? Yes, I would agree. Yep. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, so when you're able to find a six and a half to maybe seven cap 
uh, area are you purchasing mm -hmm. at six and a half or seven or are you buying with more equity? It depends on if the property is off market or not. So okay. I think when the property is off market, I can usually um, get a little bit better deal. So the one I'm purchasing right now is probably closer to seven cap because um, that, you know, you, you end up get it coming across these scenarios where somebody needs to exit either because of medical bills or because they got in over their head or they really don't like managing or they've been self-managing yeah. and the property's messed up. So um, I like running across those types of scenarios so that I can get a little bit of a, a, I don't know, buffer on the price, if you will. And you're doing these through syndications or not? Yeah. Okay. Yes, I am. So mm -hmm. how, what's, what is your total raise for this property that's a uh, seven cap right now? Uh, I still haven't a hundred percent narrowed it down, but it's about 750,000. And I say that just because I, I just got the inspection reports back and we're finishing up our seller negotiations on the credits and such. So it's around $750,000. Okay. And with your projections, do you know how much of the property your passive investors, the equity partners are going to own? Yes, I, but I would prefer not to talk about that just because the deal wasn't done yet. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Very but much. usually my structures, usually the structure that I do is, is around a 75-25 split with, with the deals that I've done so far. Okay, great. And how about, are you typically paying the, your investors, are they getting paid out by cash flow, like in quarterly yes. distributions or anything like that? Yep. I wait at least six months to start cash distributions. And the reason why I say that is I just, I'm usually buying either distressed or value add properties that need a lot of TLC. So I want to make sure that things are going smoothly before I start distributing cash to my partners. But yeah, we do quarterly cash flow distributions. Um, and I don't do a preferred return. I just like keeping it simple and a straight equity split for all of our distributions. Okay. Wonderful. And with, let's see, with that 7% cap, after the six months with some of the ones that you've closed in the past, mm -hmm. do you have an, a figure on what has been historically kind of like a cash on cash after month six? So uh, cash on cash, I, I hope to do an 8%. Um, and then I look for an IRR. Uh, of course, that would be just, you know, in that's not the whole life of, of the property itself. But if we're just looking at a snapshot after six, six, nine months or something, about 8%. Um, and then I usually look for deals that will give me a 14 to 17% IRR minimum before I would even consider doing the deal. Okay. And that would be over a 10 year hold. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, a lot of good information. Thank you for sharing that. When you're looking at your properties, I have three questions, and that is with your po the population, the median home price, and the median income. Are those and are these metrics? Excuse me. Are these metrics that you tend to use when you're underwriting an area? I do not look at medium, median income. Uh, I do look at population, but not so much the number of people that live there, but the, the trends. Is it a declining, stabilized, or increasing population? Um, and if it's increasing, then that is very much of interest to me. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. And then yeah. we talked about in Ohio that you need to stabilize it and use a term called bridge debt. And so for yeah. any listeners who don't know what stabilizing means, and maybe they're thinking that the property is falling over and you just need to fix the foundation, could you <laughs> explain those two uh, 
those two words? Of course. Yeah, sure. So stabilizing um, generally means that you have the property 90% occupied for at least 90 days. So if you're getting Fannie Mae uh, non-recourse agency debt on a property, they require you to have it 90% occupied for 90 days before they will consider doing it. So you can get the loan started, but by the time you close on it, that needs to be um, the scenario there. And then why did I just forget the other question that you asked bridge me? Loan, so bridge realizing, loan. Oh, bridge loan. Okay, so a bridge loan would be something like um, you could use hard money loans if you wanted to. So you'd usually go in, you would get a lender who would be willing to do it at a little bit higher risk for them. And so you'll have a higher interest rate. So you could have anywhere from a 7 to, I don't know, you could have up to a 10% interest rate. Who knows? Or more, depending on the lender that you uh, align yourself with. Um, you'd usually have some points up front that you'd have to pay, and it's generally an interest-only uh, loan for a certain amount of time. And they'll say, we'll give this to you for six months, 12 months, 18 months, 24 months, maybe longer, so there's certain terms, and they know that it's just a loan that'll get you through possibly the stabilization or if you have a renovation that you're doing, you can get that during your renovation project so that, you know, you don't, you have a little bit higher interest rate, but since you're only paying interest only on that, then you can still afford those payments while the occupancy might not be as desirable as you want it to be eventually. That was a fantastic explanation. Thank you. Very, very Yeah. Sure. Are you ready for the final five? Heck yeah. All right. First, we have a quick word from the sponsors and we'll be right back. Want daily interviews with real estate investors and none of the fluff? Go to bestevershow.com where Joe Fairless interviews daily real estate investors and entrepreneurs about their best advice ever. Go to bestevershow.com. Adam Adams has one of the most active meetup groups in the world. I've personally been to one of his meetups and Adam packed that house with over 80 investors at lunch and another 60 on the waiting list find out the exact six things he did to create one of the top meetups on the planet by texting the word meetup to 555-888. Text meetup to 555-888. All right, here we go. What is the most creative deal that you've ever done, Tamar Mar? Oh, first of all, I love that you said Tamar Mar because all my friends call me that. Um, I purchased uh, the property that would be the equivalent of kind of slumlordy a uh, 16-unit apartment complex, seller financing. Uh, you walk in it and you wish nobody would have to live that way. Um, but I'm going in, renovating it, and I'm going to improve the value of that property at least double uh, the value within probably about 12 to 16 months. Um, and it took a lot of risk and a lot of guts to be able to do what I'm doing on that particular project. Wow. What, what is the expected purchase versus sale price then? Um, the purchase was seven sixty ish, if I'm remembering correctly. We'll put in probably about two one hundred fifty thousand to two hundred thousand on the renovations, and it'll probably be worth about one point four million when we're done. So, uh, great. And we'll do that in about twelve eighteen months. And what's your strategy then to sell it or to refinance it? I want to keep that bad boy. It's going to cash flow like crazy. Good. Good. <laughs> Question number two, what's a book you would recommend to the listeners? Ooh, I have two. Number one um, is anything from Napoleon Hill. Um, Think and Grow Rich is one of them, but also The Law of Success. And then the book that I'm just finishing up, which is the biography on Elon Musk. It is a must read for all entrepreneurs. Okay, perfect. The bio for Elon. Yeah. Okay, I had to make some notes. All right, so five years ago, versus five years from now. Can you kind of give us that picture of what it looked like five years ago and where you plan to be in five years? 
Yeah, five years ago, I um, was a, an employee for somebody else at, at a startup company, um, having a blast, um, but I was an employee and I only had a couple units at that time. In fact, I, we hadn't even really ramped up our investing game. We had a few rentals, but we're not active in acquisitions. And five years from now, um, I, oh my gosh, it's going to be freaking amazing in five years. Well, it is today anyways, but um, we're going to be free and clear of our own mortgage. We are uh, having a waterfront house on four acres of waterfront in the South Puget Sound. We'll have a house built in Hawaii. Uh, my husband won't have to work anymore because I'm kicking ass over here. And my family and I will be traveling around the world doing really cool stuff. Perfect. I, I really appreciate that. I'm making some notes. That's good. Okay. <laughs> a lot of good stuff. And you can tell that you have a clear vision of where you're going, which is something that I think that all of the listeners should, if they don't already have that, they should definitely try to have a clear vision. They see their house in Hawaii. They see their house on the waterfront or they see themselves traveling more. I like that a lot. And mm. that's actually one of the things that I think probably inspired you or made you be the type of person who's like, okay, I'm going to start a podcast or I'm going to start the Marvelous Multifamily Millions Meetup uh, because if you don't have a clear vision, if you, if you can't see where you're going, sometimes all of this other stuff just doesn't make sense to do. Yeah, it's so true. You have to have a vision. And I go far so far as to like actually visualize it. I can see myself sitting out on my lanai in Hawaii and mm. we're actually in the middle of building our, our house on the water right now. So my, the view of my favorite mountain in the world, I just, you know, like I can actually feel it inside my body, what it's like to be in those places or experience the things that I want to experience. And that goes so far in helping you to reach your goals. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So let me ask you, how do you give back? Ooh, um, I like listening. I always say that because I think it's a big gift to give people the, the gift of listening. Um, I think I'm also giving back through the, you know, the time that I'm spending doing my, my podcast, just like you, Adam. I mean, I don't make any money off of it right now and, and I'm doing it to help educate myself, but also to help inspire others that are trying to do the same sort of work that, that I aspire to do. Perfect. Yeah, I, I would agree. Those are the same reasons that I'm doing it as well. So, mm -hmm. How do people reach you? You're an uh, incredible person. You're doing a lot of fun Thank things. Thank you. You're always so positive. I'm sure some of the listeners want to reach out to you. How would they do that? Yeah, they can do so through my website at marotagroup.com, which is M-A-R-O-T-A group.com, or uh, my podcast, investingforlifepodcast.com. Uh, those would be the two best ways, and just uh, there's a link in there on contacting me. Perfect. And I'll also leave those links down in the show notes today as well. So that way the listeners can scroll down right now and go ahead and contact you. All right. So for the listeners, guys, go and leave us a five-star re review and go over to Tomorrow Mars podcast, Investing for Life. Listen to it. And I'm sure you think that she deserves five stars as well. So Tamara, thank, <laughs> thank you for you. being here. I really, really appreciate you. I've listened to a couple of your episodes and I think that you're just a great interviewer and you're putting out a lot of content, a lot of really great content. So I would actually recommend that the listeners check that out. So thanks for being uh, here. I appreciate it. I really my pleasure. You. All right. My until pleasure. next time, my friend, think outside the box.
I'm Rod Cleef, and I've asked Adam Adams to be an expert on a panel in Chicago. Now, if you're like me and you realize you learn so much better in full immersion at a live event with no distractions and you want to do your next apartment deal, you need to text multifamily to 41411 or go to multifamilybootcamp.com right now. And Adam and I look forward to seeing you in person in Chicago, August 24th through the 26th.